Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Alexandre Lacazette lance Martinelli. Il est plus rapide, Martinelli. Le but de Gabriel Martinelli. Et voilà l'esprit de conquête des gunners se récompenser dès l'entame de la deuxième période. is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, a very goodly morning to you. Another one. Another one. What's happening? What's happening? I know. It's Christmas, guys. It's Christmas. Is this month made up entirely of Sundays? Has hell frozen over? (laughs) Are pigs flying as we speak? I'm looking out the window. Hang on. Can't see if there's any pigs in the sky. It's so fucking depressingly grey here today. One of those days yeah. where you don't know if it's 10 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you know? Sure, but hey. sure, sure, sure. But that aside, mm. it is a goodly morning. It is. It is. I'm, Nonetheless. I'm, I'm feeling the goodliness of the weekend and uh, the week we've just had and, you know, doing what we did against Leeds on, on Saturday. There was a lot to enjoy about that. There was a lot to enjoy mm-hmm. about... Uh, many aspects of it. So yeah, let's let's embrace the goodliness. We don't know how long it's going to be here. Hopefully, much much longer. Permanently, indeed, would be would be fine with me. To be honest, it would make my life, your life, and everybody's lives, I think, feel better. But until such time as it's not, let's just uh, go with it. Definitely, let's uh, let's enjoy the football matches while we're able to mm. have them, which we were on Saturday, somewhat against the odds, mm. uh, and certainly when they go as well as that, I really, especially that first half, thoroughly enjoyed that. Let me ask you this, because I've seen a lot of people talk about Leeds and how bad they were, and I absolutely get it. I understand that. I thought you were going to say something else. No. I thought you were going to say, I absolutely <laughs> disagree. Don't care. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> no, it's not that I care, but I wonder how you view a game like this where it's very clear the opposition are subpar or are playing well below their capabilities, right? We know that Leeds had some injuries and they had some, some uh, big players missing. Nevertheless, there's a level of um, performance you expect from professional footballers, which I don't think they got anywhere near in terms of how often they turned over the ball, their carelessness, all of that kind of stuff. I think they were like genuinely dreadful. Mm. And I don't say this to be like a killjoy about what we did, but I, I just wonder how, how do you view it when the opposition is like that? Because I can remember, and I'm sure you can too, and I'm sure everybody listening to this can remember, games when we have played terrible opposition 
and also been terrible or not taken advantage of the fact that they were terrible. So someone will say, well, Leeds were shite. And I'll say, yes, I agree Leeds were shite, but we also had to punish their carelessness and their sloppiness. And that's not always something that we've been capable of doing. So mm-hmm. for me, I can accept the shiteness of Leeds, but also acknowledge that Arsenal were good in part because of that, but but also just because we were good. No, you've got to you've got to rise to the challenge. Nonetheless, you've got to beat them. Whatever's in front of you. I mean, Arsenal played uh, an Everton team without some of their best players and shorn of confidence and conspired to lose to them a, a fortnight yeah, yeah. ago. Um, Thanks for the reminder, think, Captain Bummer. Holy shit! Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, the Grinch at Christmas is here. Scrooge. I I also think that while Leeds clearly were missing some of their best players, the likes of Cam Phillips, Patrick Bamford. I think the number of injuries mm. they had um, it was staggering, but they also had a pretty experienced team out there. It wasn't a team full of kids, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kids like, were on the bench, our, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, and our lineup was markedly younger than theirs, as far as I understand it. So... You know, I, I don't think that it's a complete excuse. I also think, obviously, they play a very particular system under Bielsa um, that can be tricky. But I think if you circumnavigate that and you work it to advantage, I think you deserve some credit there. And in fairness to Arteta, like we've played Leeds quite a lot. I think in the last couple of years, it feels like we've had a bunch of cup ties against yeah. them, and more often than not, he's managed okay in these situations. I think it's a system that he has a handle on, and I think Leeds' problem is it looks like the rest of the Premier League have a bit of a handle on it too. Um, so, uh, yeah, of course, well, I suppose there is a caveat around the performance of Leeds were in a state and Leeds were bad, but I think. We still deserve credit for what we produced. I think it's all very well beating a team, but we battered Leeds. We really battered them in that first half away from home. It was 3-0 at half time. Mm. It honestly could have been 4-5 or 6 by that point with yeah. the chances that we were creating. And coming under almost no threat at the other end, there was one Rafinha breakaway, which I think came from an Arsenal corner. And that was the extent of it. Um I, I think we did a lot right, and it's it's worth talking about that and celebrating that because yeah. it is encouraging. And we've not always been, uh, in recent years, a team that's able to put a poor team to the sword in the fashion that we did in this game. Yeah, exactly. That's why I, I, I wanted to gauge your opinion on this one, because I think yeah. that is a positive thing. You know, you can, you can absolutely talk about the quality of the opposition, but you still have to do a lot of stuff yourself. And I was, I was reminded, was it the last Arscast Extra, or it was certainly one recently where we talked about Arteta's team not being a pressing team, uh, as a matter of course, anyway. Yeah, it was we, after the Everton game. Yeah, and yeah. we spoke about the what you can do when you win the ball high up the pitch. And I say, win the ball slash get the ball off the opponent who gives it away, you know, in their own half, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you look at that first goal where there was a turnover midway into the Leeds half, Saka won it, drove 
towards the box and from there we scored that first goal and it comes from getting the ball back in a place much higher up the pitch um so it just shows you as it was an illustration to me anyway of the benefit of that kind of thing like I'm not saying you have to play like that all the time but you know as you said after the Everton game that was something we were talking about that we don't do anywhere near enough yeah I I think it was uh you know, I don't think we were winning the ball high enough up the pitch. And I think there's such an advantage to doing it, especially when you've got guys like Saka and Martinelli mm. who can immediately, you know, flip the game on its head and pose that threat in behind. Um, we did that well against West Ham. We did it well against Leeds too. This goal, actually, the finish really reminded me of... A listener will tell us, I'm sure, but there was an Abamyang goal against Brighton on Boxing Day a couple of years ago, which I feel like was incredibly similar, right down to right. Lacazette sort of going into a challenge on the box. And he was playing on the left that day, Abamyang, and just lifted it beautifully into the far top corner. Really great instinctive finish from uh, Martinelli and, and good work, like you say, in the build up in terms of the pressure we managed to exert. And yeah, I mean, look, that that set us off to the races. And I do think the intensity with, with which we've played, I mean, Lacazette has had a lot of credit again off the back of this game. And I think mm. there's some, some good numbers around about how well he helped Arsenal win the ball. And I think Arsenal won the ball something like 13 times in the opponent's half. Wow. I saw an Optus stat floating. And, you know, it, it's their best tally for some time. I will double check that stat while you talk now in case I've massively overestimated it, but it was something a lot like that. Okay, well, fair enough. No, I mean, I think the, the, the way we came into this game and the way we started and the chances we created, I was just looking up that Brighton goal, actually, the one that you were talking about, so I've had to sit through an ad. It's Lacazette. Oh, yeah. Lacazette, 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 wiggle, wiggle, and the defender. Yeah, I can see the similarity in that one, actually. I think this on this occasion, Lacazette's holding it up in the box, but I think a defender pokes the ball into Aubameyang's path and it's a very similar finish all right yeah 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 uh, but uh, it was 13 turn- high turnovers so 13 turnovers right. in I guess the last 40 metres of the pitch Yikes. thanks Harvey Downs for yeah. pointing that out now that is the most that Arsenal have had in a game away from home since December 2013 which was wow. away to Newcastle when they made 14 turnovers in that part of the pitch so yeah, pr- pretty astonishing. I think some credit due to Arsenal. I think some discredit due to Leeds as well. But we pressed that advantage, literally. Yeah, we did. And, you know, talk about setting records and stuff like that. Um, 11 shots on target. 11 shots on target. That's what I was going to say. You know, for a team that has been, uh, that's had issues with, with shots and creating chances and, and everything else, to have 11 shots on target, which apparently is the most since Opta Records began in that opening period, tells you just how dominant we were. But not just that, but just how much we made of the the opportunities and the uncertainty in the Leeds defence and the movement that we had. And mm-hmm. we, we talked about this quite briefly on, on WhatsApp, I think, but there was a question to Mikel Arteta on Sky afterwards where he was asked about you know, the, uh, I can't remember, was it Lacazette maybe who said, uh, one of the players in the post-match interview and a post-match interview said the game plan was very good. We've got to give credit to the coach. And he said, well, we have to give, he said, we give credit to the players. They had to execute it, et cetera, et cetera. But it does seem as if the way that we played, certainly Lacazette dropping deep, allowing Martinelli to fill those spaces with his runs was designed to take advantage of 
Bielsa system where there is this man marking thing where players are following players around the pitch therefore they're leaving gaps so when Lacazette drops deep there is space in behind for Martinelli and we saw that uh, in particular with the second goal you know that there there definitely felt like uh, a plan to the way that we played uh, in this game in that first half in particular definitely and and I think Gary Neville might have pointed out in co-commentary there was a moment where Kieran Tierney was taking a throw in and Lacazette was just jogging all over the pitch and you could see the centre-half following him wherever he went and in doing yeah. so, uh, vacating space. I mean, it was absurd and Arsenal did that really well. We stretched the play, we pulled them pillar to post. Lacazette did it by dropping in. Odegaard mm. did it by pressing high at times. You know, uh, Saka and and uh, Martinelli were pinning their fullbacks dragging them out into wide areas, exploiting the space in behind. It was really good. We looked, um, I agree, like a team with a plan. We looked well-coached and well-prepared. And I think Leeds, they live by the sword and they die by the sword. Mm. You know you know exactly what they're going to do. And we were able to prepare for that. And we were able to exploit it. But uh, yeah, and, and and you won't see that more clearly. I mean, I mean, and the deficiencies in their team with with our than with our second goal, where you know one of the more inexperienced players in their team, the young right back, pushes up high and just gets absolutely killed for it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's such a good goal. This one, I'm watching it back here again. Uh, maybe I'm just a little too far back. I was just trying to see the passage of play running up to it. Oh, here it is. Uh, so they have the ball Leeds have the ball after winning it back from us uh, guys booting forward with it wow Shaka interception takes a couple of touches great pass to Martinelli and this was one where I thought uh oh uh oh no no, uh oh that's that's really something that is really something the quick feet there are amazing because he sort of left it behind him almost twice he left it behind him and then brought it forward the keeper's coming out and he dinked it over him um it's a it's a brilliant finish from a player who again there there's going to be so much discussion about him and where has he been and all of that kind of stuff but let's talk about the goal first and then talk about that and maybe some of Arteta's remarks on him uh it's it's unusual for a guy who like Granit Xhaka has his issues, but his passing is usually pretty good, and it is probably the strongest part of his game. You would say, mm. uh, but he doesn't tend to make a lot of passes like that. I don't know if that's because you know um, when he gets the ball, he goes the other way a bit too often, or mm. whatever it is. But good pass, and from there, Martinelli. I mean, what can you say about that other than it's just it's just sensational forward play. Yeah, it's a good pass from Shaka, but it's a pass made by the run, really. Mm. I mean, you know, Lacazette doesn't play a lot of those passes either, but he found one for Martinelli against West Ham because Martinelli is someone who provides that option. It is that Mm. willingness to run in behind. And we're seeing that benefit this team in all sorts of ways. A, it's giving us those options for through balls, but also it's creating indecision in defences. You know, we're seeing back fours not know if they should drop off because they're worried that Saka and Martinelli might sprint in behind. If they do drop off, it gives Lacazette, Odegaard time and space on the ball. And then, you know, once the pass is made, the the sequence of touches from Martinelli, I mean, the mark of a great goal scorer really is how they address the ball in those moments before they arrive at the goalkeeper. You know, the, 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 the management of their stride to be able to give them the perfect position from which to finish. And 
Martinelli, there's almost a moment where you feel like he might have uh, got it wrong, where it sort of looks like he's taken an extra touch, but he's just got it so under his spell, takes it away from the defender, and the lift over the goalkeeper is... Well, I yeah. mean, it's just such a brilliant finish. And I guess the mark of the confidence with which he's playing. Yeah, and he team. never takes his eyes off the ball either when he's sort of broken free in that last moment before he lifts it over the keeper. I mean, he might be able to see him peripherally coming towards him, but his focus is absolutely 100% on the ball. So mm. he can, as you say, match his stride and, and make sure that he makes the right contact with it when the keeper comes towards him. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a huge uh, a huge few weeks for this guy uh, who's been sort of peripheral. And, you know, we forget maybe, okay, he had some chances earlier in the season, but they came at a time when for Arsenal, things were not great collectively. So it feels a bit unfair to talk about individuals uh, based on, let's say, those first three games of the season. I'm not making any excuses for anyone. But no, no, but we've, we've placed enough um, kind of caveats around those yeah. first three games for other people that why should he be exempt from that? You know? well, well, yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think it's fair to say he looks a different kind of player. Now, there's, I mean, confidence could be part of it. Uh, we're, what, three or four months down the line with more work on the training ground. Physically, he hasn't had, yeah. yeah, physically, hasn't had any injury problems or anything like that. Uh, you know, he did have some injury problems in the summer, didn't he? Because of the, did he not go to the Olympics because of an injury or what was it? I can't remember. No, that was Gabriel. Um, no, I think he but did, yeah, he uh, was at the Olympics anyway. That's what it was. And he came back. Mm. Um but he looks a different player. And then Arteta was talking about afterwards um, about the need to prepare a player. You cannot throw a player in when you think he's not ready. Uh, Gabby has made the right steps. He's evolving in the right direction. Uh, and his ceiling is, I don't know where, because he has so much he can still improve on. Um, and there's been a sense, I think, maybe that, that Arteta doesn't fancy Martinelli or doesn't want to... Uh, use him or or whatever it might be. And that's been slightly at odds with the things that he said about him. He's pretty much always said that the potential is really big with this player. Mm. There is a school of thought that you can tell what a manager thinks about a player by how often he plays him or how often he uses him. But this does make a little bit of sense to me in that he brought him in at a point where we all expected in that Newcastle game, pretty much everyone expected Nicolas Pepe to play. And he didn't. And he he chose Martinelli, obviously feeling that he was the right guy for that game. And he was proved right because he scored a really brilliant goal. He's more or less kept faith with him ever since. Yeah. The goals are coming. So do you think there is something in that, that, that he, as manager, has felt like the preparation that they need to put into him is work that they've need to do uh, to get done on the training ground to prepare him to get him, you know, ready for various facets and aspects of the game. Yeah, I think oftentimes as a manager you get lucky, you know. A yeah, I mean picks that's up an injury. Sorry, I did. And... Yeah, I just was going to say, like, how do you draw the line between that and let's say he puts a player in and he does well and then says, well, you know. This is this is I think, a massive yeah, struggle, uh, you know. Uh, uh, well, I, and I think a lot of the time that is the skill of management is actually realizing when something's working and sticking mm. with it. 
teams change for all sorts of reasons. And and I think, for example, the ascension of Emil Smith-Rowe last season, um, the, the moment in which he actually got his chance in the team for the Premier League game against Chelsea, there was something fortuitous is a strange word to mm. use when you've got a number of injuries and illness cases but I'm not sure there was that much design about Smith Rowe coming into the team at Christmas and remaining in it for the remainder of the season um, I think there's much more design around the Martinelli trajectory and you know I have seen the case that oh you know Arteta's got a bit lucky here Aubameyang's out and Martinelli's stepped up and is performing but if you think about the fact that we always had AFCON on the horizon, regardless of what was going on with Aubameyang, and that always was going to take both him and Pepe out of the game, it makes total and complete sense to me that you would kind of uh, build Martinelli's season for him to be mm. blossoming, coming into the team around this kind of period. And he was introduced ahead of Pepe for that Newcastle game before anything blew up with Aubameyang. Um, so I think there was always a trajectory with this kind of festive period, maybe slightly later, maybe more January than December, in mind for Martinelli. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe we're a little bit ahead of schedule in terms of how much he's contributing right now and huge credit has to go to the player. But I do think that clearly kind of the the fitness staff and the coaching staff have been working towards this and that's what Arteta seems to be suggesting and it it's working because I thought his performance against Leeds was one of those standout kind of uh, moments where a young player comes really of age kind of announces themselves you know I, I really do think it was in that category and maybe it was by virtue of the fact that there were no other Premier League games on the day and all the focus was on Arsenal that day and with under that sort of uh, global spotlight he was the guy who stepped up and broke the deadlock and scored two excellent goals but I just came away from it thinking uh, the boy became a man a little bit and, and uh, incredibly excited about where he could go next. As as Arteta says, who knows where the ceiling might be. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, but not simply based on the Leeds game, but also the West Ham game. I think the mm -hmm. two performances True. this week have been, they've been a real, real, not an eye-opener, but a step forward um, for, for and this they've come player. in Premier League games. Yeah. You know, we've seen some great contributions from Martinelli, some in the league, a, a lot in the Cups and the Europa League yeah. in his early days. These are Premier League games he's affecting in a race for a European place. He's still young mm. um, and he looks so composed, so confident. He looks ready. That's yeah. what he looks. And... Uh, Listen, I, it, it may have taken longer for us to get here than some would have liked, but I, I'm glad we're here now. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the thing. If if what you get from here on in is a, is a consistency of performance level from Martinelli, or at least the variances in his performance level are much uh, smaller, if you like, that he's not fluctuating from being brilliant one game to anonymous. If he's very good, good, very good, brilliant, uh, slightly average, good, good. You know what I mean? That if what you're getting 
because of that delay in bringing him in, because of whatever development you've put into him, like the the the, the example people always um, use is Phil Foden at Manchester yeah, City, sure. another player who was very very deliberately held back because obviously they wanted to work on certain things with him to get him ready. Everyone could see the talent. Everyone could see the ability, but could he do it on a consistent basis? And he's been brought in. He's an England regular now, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'm not saying the two situations are completely the same, but you can see some similarities in that. So if the situation, you know, if what they've done gives us a consistent Martinelli between now and May, then you will say it's worth it even if you could argue maybe in one or two of the results which didn't quite go our way this season, maybe he could have made a difference. I don't know. But like if he scores frequently between now and May, then then it's been um, it's been good work. Well, I, he came on for that uh, substitute appearance against Newcastle at the end of November. Mm. So that was the first of six appearances since then. In that period, he scored four goals and had two assists. So mm. his productivity has been pretty consistent uh, since he came into the side. He's seizing the opportunity. You know, some players, particularly with this manager, there is a friction that can be unhealthy. But my impression of their relationship is that the friction or any friction that has existed seems to have been productive. It seems to have been a motivating factor. Martinelli, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for this, has always responded to being left out by working harder by doing more by seeking to improve and yeah he he's really taking the chance now I, I I couldn't be more thrilled to see him thriving in the way that he is and he's such an exciting player to watch you know so as fans mm. um we're naturally gonna be uh excited and, and eulogize about him because he's just so dynamic in the way he plays the game yeah so Let's talk about the third goal. Some similarities to the second goal in the way that Bakayo Saka drove towards the Leeds box. Mm -hmm. But can we take a moment to talk about the Martin Odegaard pass? First time pass straight into the path of Saka, whose first touch is absolutely sensational. Um, And I know he didn't score, but I thought Odegaard was absolutely brilliant uh, against Leeds. I think some some of his play, some of the creativity... He really enjoyed himself out there. He he was excellent. I mean, I thought there were a lot of good performances from Arsenal and it's it almost feels tricky to highlight one over the other. But I thought in terms of the intelligence of his game, Leeds couldn't live with him. And actually, there were times where I almost thought it was too easy for him. Like there were a couple of moments in the penalty box where he looked for an embellishment of a pass when I thought he probably could have shot there. But Mm. he was just having a lovely time. And at 3-0 up or 2-0 up, wherever we were at those stages, I can forgive it. Brilliant pass in the build-up to this goal. Um, will come to the fourth goal because I thought that was an even more impressive contribution. Mm. But yeah, he, he, he's doing really well as well now. And he, like Martinelli, has, has has won his place back in the team and is adding end product, you know, yeah. tangible contributions, goals and assists. I was pleased for Saka to get the goal as sure. well. It, it seems yeah. a, a long time ago now, but do you remember very early on, um, Alex Lacazette went through on goal and... and Probably yeah. should have scored. Uh, but uh, but another, Saka, uh, Saka should have pass, and then Saka was, should yeah. have scored the rebound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really should have scored. I mean, Lacazette should have scored 
that one he should have scored the one that Odegaard set up for him, yeah. which I think you're. I think that's maybe one of the ones that you're referring to when maybe he could have pulled the trigger. Um, yeah, and I thought, I, so. I, I I thought, thought that, so. but I watched the replay and I think maybe just the defenders coming uh, coming across there, so he decided to make. Um, the pass to Lacazette, who probably should have scored there as well. But you're right, Saka should have scored the rebound more than Lacazette should have scored the first chance, probably because uh, the yeah. keeper was on I know the floor. It's his weak foot, but yeah, but we've seen him. We've seen him score very deliberately uh, a brilliant goal against Chelsea, uh, if you remember, with his weak foot. Um, so, yeah, well, he laid good. on a, a, a great goal with his <laughs> right foot the other day, didn't he? So I, I think. Um, yeah, I was pleased for him. I mean, I think that finishing component of his game still could do with a bit of refining and, mm. and what a play is going to be if and when he gets there. But yeah, the main thing is I think Odegaard has runners ahead of him. And so often in this attack, you know, it, it was Lacazette who was deeper, closer to Odegaard and Saka and Smith, um, not Smith, right, Saka and Martinelli who were really high and and causing problems in that channel between fullback and centre-half. And for a player like Odegaard who can pick a pass, if you've got movement into those spaces, it's a really nice combination. Yeah. So let's, before we talk about the the fourth goal, we could talk about a couple of the incidents uh, in, in the second half. Yeah. But mostly about the second half performance, which obviously was not as dynamic and we didn't take as many shots. And I'm wondering what you think of that. Like, I know some people will say, they're there to be put to the sword, keep it up, score another three or four goals, do your goal difference some good, et cetera, et cetera. And I was looking at it thinking, well, you know what? It's 3-0. Leeds didn't have a shot on target until the 72nd minute. We've got the game absolutely under control. We've got a very busy schedule coming up with the festive fixtures, two games in less than 48 hours, uh, assuming that they go ahead, of course, as a Carabao mm. Cup game. There's a game coming up against Manchester City. You've got maybe two legs of a Carabao, uh, Carabao Cup. It's a, you know, It felt to me like a deliberate... Um, like, not necessarily switch off, but just control the game. You don't have to run yourself into the ground in a game like this when you're 3-0 up. So where do you stand on that particular side of things? Well, something that only really occurred to me after the game is that, you know, Arsenal played the same starting eleven here for, what was it, a fourth game? Yeah. On the trot? Yeah. And the third game in the space of eight days or whatever it is, a week. Um, and maybe that's a factor too, you know, just not, uh, wanting or needing to kind of uh, go that extra mile in terms of, you know, expending unnecessary energy. I mean, the game was won at that point. I think we've all lamented this season times where Arsenal have gone ahead in games and sat back, but there's a very big difference between doing that at 1-0 and 3-0. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. And I think at 3-0, that's kind of fine with me. I, I also think the fact that when we did concede we were able to turn it on again mm. and find that extra gear suggests to me that it was relatively controlled. Um, listen, there were moments in the game that sort of enlivened leads. I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about that Granite Shaka moment now. Um, maybe that brought a bit of life back into them and the crowd and helped them keep possession better and keep more territory on the pitch. But it wasn't really converting to chances. I mean, I don't think Aaron Ramsdale made a save in the game that I can recall. Certainly not one of any 
great difficulty. No, I mean the the, the shot that was on target was a, a fairly uh, tame effort. Well, let's let's do the uh, the Shaka thing then. Um, mm. We had a couple of questions from the Discord. Lowy133 said, has the Xhaka incident versus Leeds killed off? If Xhaka had done that, he'd be sent off, saying. And uh, mm. Paul Thomasu says, does Andre Mariner even know the rules of if that was Granite Xhaka? Which I assume he didn't, because I have yeah. to say, I think he was lucky. Because he could have had a yellow card for standing in front of the free kick. Like, who was sent off the other week for something like that? The the dude at Wolves, uh, Raul Jimenez, no? Yeah, two, two bookings. In, two bookings. In like, he got a booking and then he stood in front of the ball, got a second yellow. It was, like, really soft. But, you know, letter of the law, you can't do that, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he stood in front of a free kick as they were trying to take it. Normally, that's a booking. Then he goes over the ball, studs up onto Rafinha's ankle. When they were checking on VAR, I was going, ah, this is this is inevitable that it's going to be a red card, but mm. um, not even a booking. So uh, I, I do think he got a little bit lucky there. I do too. I mean, the Leeds forward was booked for a challenge uh, about five minutes later that I didn't think was as bad as the Shaka one. Yeah, um, but he, he he sort of slid in a bit, didn't he? So there was a... He left the ground or something, yeah. yeah. But, I, I, yeah, I, I think he was very fortuitous. I think that he... And I don't think he was alone in this, actually, in that second half. I think he got sucked into a bit of argy-bargy, basically, around that free kick, you know, where he sort of stood in front of the ball and there was a bit of a row. I think he got a bit hot-headed and it played into that tackle. And mm. it was a very foolish thing to do but it was a very granite shaka thing to do um somebody said to me after the game they were like yeah i mean i really hope he can iron that out of his game and i was like <laughs> he's like <laughs> i was like that's really wishful thinking i know it's christmas but like you know no chance he's the, the, late 20s now he's absolutely yeah. who he is and completely unrepentant about it um for better and certainly for worse. So I don't, uh, I wasn't surprised, let's put it like that. But I think he, had he been sent off for that, wow, pitchfork time, I think. Oh. And, you know, he was, it was, it was a lucky escape because it nearly turned a very comfortable situation into a needlessly uh, difficult one. Yeah, one. exactly. I yeah. mean, it was what, two minutes, three minutes into the first or second half. And we could have been down to 10 men for no good reason other than Shaka was being Shaka. So, I, you know, I don't want to put a dampener on this. And we've had the Shaka conversation. You know, we've done it to death time and time and time again. I, I just sometimes I wonder, I just wonder why Shaka's behaviors are tolerated in ways that, that other players stuff isn't. Like, I, I I, don't quite get it because I feel like this is the kind of stuff that Mikel Arteta should be saying, no, fuck this. You can't do that. That's not how we do it. That's not how we behave. We should not be. But he seems to have this this faith in Xhaka, his seniority, his experience, his character, whatever it is that, you yeah. know, that he sees on the training ground, big personality, all that kind of stuff. But boy, oh boy, this guy gets uh, a lot of rope. He does, and I think all I can conclude from that really is that uh, we don't see the full picture, you know. And I think if if events at Arsenal in the past ten days have taught us anything, it's that we must not see mm. the full picture. Um, and I think 
he is an example of that. I, I am intrigued by the sort of uh, party Shaka axis because I think last season they played really well as a partnership. And, I, and at the present time, although Arsenal's results are good, their performances are good, I'm not sure you could say that individually either of those players is playing well. I agree. Um, or, or that the partnership is particularly effective. I'm not saying we're winning games in spite of central midfield because I don't think they're not contributing. I'm not suggesting that, but I agree with you. I don't think either of them are anywhere near or playing anywhere near as well as they can. And that's not to say I think Shaq is a brilliant player or anything like that. I think, you know, we're, we're uh, nearly 18 months into Thomas Partey now and we just haven't seen it consistently. So when you look at the team and when you look at where we might improve, central midfield seems like a very obvious area to me. Yeah, but uh, I mean, surprise, surprise, uh, cause for optimism from me. A, I think it's encouraging that you can look at an area of the pitch and be like, well, that's that, there's an upgrade available there. Yeah. But B, I think both of these players, both individually and in tandem, can play better. I mean, when I look at Arsenal getting the results they've got in the last week, and I think, well, if Shaka and Party were playing, uh, you know, on the better side of their potential, as we know that they are capable, then we would look much more solid. Yeah. But I'm also intrigued that he's kind of sticking with it through some patchy form. I think they are doing things off the ball that we that are helping us. I mean, I described them in my post-match video as kind of robot hoovers. And I, I do think there is an element of that. They are just sort of shuttling around in front of the defence. Like Roombas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like just sort of uh, shuttling back and forth, picking the ball up, giving it to somebody else. and Hit a and chair leg. Yeah, sure. There's going to be accidents and moments of where it's clear they have no functioning brain, but they do have a use. And I think um, uh, I'm being facetious there, but I think I know, I know. That, that, I mean, you know, I, I I compared our football to the board game Mousetrap not long ago, and they are sort of the hungry, hungry hippos of our team, just sort of gobbling up the ball and and redistributing it without mm. doing anything particularly um, special. And I sure. think that they're. Arteta, I think, has decided that their physicality and their experience um, kind of underpins the team in some fashion. But if they can start playing well on top of that, then we could look in pretty good shape. Um, mm. So I'm hopeful they can. Party, of course, is going away sooner rather than later. So it'll be interesting to see how yeah. we cope with that. I mean, there is still some chatter about the, the uh, AFCON, whether it's going to go ahead or not. So um, Yeah, I mean, the clubs, I, as far as I understand, uh, yeah, there the must be clubs in Europe are desperate to get that called off. But pff, I, I think, yeah, the, well, the latest I mean, is that it's going ahead. Yeah, it's not up to them, uh, ultimately. I can understand why, of course, but it, it, it's not up to them and it shouldn't be for them to, to put that pressure on the um, the people running that should be the ones No, to but decide. as we know, but, yeah, yeah. they are, you know, they, yeah. they do wield a lot of power in the game. Um, um, the penalty? I mean, absolutely a penalty. Absolutely a penalty. What was going on? I mean, was that gamesmanship from oh, Ramsdale and White? absolutely. It was, you know, I said this in the blog <laughs> it yesterday. me. I said this in the blog yesterday, like the, the quickness of it, like... The immediate, like, yeah, well done, lad, you know. Uh, like, if that had been Ospina and Mustafi or whatever, I don't think I would have appreciated it anywhere near as much as I did. But these these guys are new. Um, they're likable. 
absolutely they were trying that I think that came from Ramsdale more than White to be honest because yeah, Ben White, White looked guilty he absolutely looked guilty he's got one of those faces where he gets that slight reddening of the cheeks when, yes, when something's going on, you know what I mean? He absolutely knew. Ramsdale came over and did the high five thing as a way to try and fool the referee 100%. But like in this in this era of VAR, you're not going to get away with it, even if you put some doubt into the mind of the referee. It was a really yeah. silly challenge from Ben White. And there was another question on the, the Discord. Um, let me see if I can find it. DJ Rad B says, are you concerned about Ben White going full Mustafi in the box or is this just a learning experience for a young player? Koscielny was rash and gave away penalties when first uh, first here, but then became imperious and more stable. And I, I, I'm sure we've said this over the last few weeks or certainly since Ben White's come in, there have been a few times where his desire to go to ground has left him exposed. Mm-hmm. And I do think that is something that they need to work on. Um, you know, there is a time and there is a place for that kind of a challenge. Sometimes you've just got to do it. You've got no choice. But I think he could have avoided it in that situation. There was a couple. Um, was it one of the goals that we conceded recently? Who did we lose to? I can't uh, remember. United. United, Everton. but I don't. Yeah. Anyway, I think I, th- I think he he can have those moments. Yeah. Certainly, uh, he reminds me of Koscielny defensively in some respects. I think he's better on the ball, but I I think I spoke about Shaka getting drawn into a bit of argy bargy, and I think it playing into that foul. I mean, it wasn't long before this that White was squaring up to Rafinha in the penalty box, and I do wonder if that adrenaline was charging through his body Mm. at the moment where he leapt in there. Um, He didn't need to make that challenge. I mean, the Leeds player's got the ball under possession, but it's a very tight angle. If he scores from there, it's an exceptional finish. Um, And we've got an informed goalkeeper in the way. Also, we're very comfortably ahead and White could have picked up an unnecessary card for a challenge like that. It was a terrible tackle. Um, Absolutely no arguments. And... Uh, one of the more emphatic penalties I think you'll ever see. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was uh, Van Persie-esque, wasn't it? From yeah. um, He's a good player. He's he is a, really a good, good player, player, isn't he? I, I saw in the crowd or on Sky Sports that his, his agent is uh, Deco, former Barcelona yeah. player Deco. I didn't realise that. But yeah, he is a, he is a good player, Rafinha. Um, but yeah, look, it was silly... Ben White is still a very young, relatively young central defender. These are things that if in a year's time he's still making those kind of mistakes or he's still that that's part of his decision making process, then you start to worry. Not so much now. I mean, it's not great. Mm-hmm. There's no uh, defending a tackle like that, but it's how much you learn in these uh, years as you're um as a central defender, that really counts. So let's see where we are down the line. And he like had you said, grace to apologise to Aaron Ramsdale on Instagram. Yeah, I saw least. that. I saw that. And uh, like you said earlier, though, we we were able to respond um, with a fourth goal, and Emil Smith Rowe came off the bench to score again. And what a good goal it was! He won the ball high up the pitch. Martin Odegaard took it forward. I think that assist from Odegaard is just sensational it really is sensational the ability to play that specific pass that little kind of dinky loopy toey 
over the defense pass into the run of Smithrow while he is on the run himself. The technical level for that is is just phenomenal. I loved it. Yeah, it was really excellent. And, uh, you know, showed a player who's, I think, feeling himself by that point, really enjoying his football. Mm. The Smithrow does brilliantly to win the ball back, actually, yeah. I think, yeah. to, to start the move. Um, and he's, I mean... He's a great sub, and I'm not saying that to keep him as a sub, but he is a great sub because he's got that high-energy style. He wants to run in behind. He works hard, um, and a really emphatic finish as well, and the goals just keep coming for him. I mean, what he is doing is really impressive at his age to be scoring with this level of consistency. Um, So, yeah, it it was nice as well to kind of redress the balance. I think 4-1 a much more accurate reflection of the scoreline than 3-1 would have been. Yeah, I mean, it's seven goals now in the Premier League for Smith-Rowe, eight goals in all competitions. You know, behind that, you've got Martinelli, Odegaard and Aubameyang on four, Saka on three. So, you know, they're beginning to come from our midfield areas. Our strikers obviously are a bit uh, below par this season so far, but but, um, it's a sensational run from Smith-Rowe. It's brilliant. It's amazing. It is, yeah. yeah. He's, you know, level on goals with Cristiano Ronaldo and not a penalty in sight. So yeah, yeah, yeah. he's not doing too badly at all. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I can't praise him highly enough. Also, his attitude, you know, coming off the bench, he's there's no sense whatsoever that he is in any way deflated by that. No. He immediately, you know, takes to the job and dispatched that goal brilliantly. So, yeah, that, that put... Um, you know, the last goal in a game, it affects how you feel about it, yeah. I think. And the fact that we were able to kind of rubber stamp the victory and set that seal on it uh, was a nice feeling. And leaves us in the top four going into Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. Considering all things and some of the fears that we had early on, I mean, it's... It's genuinely impressive to be where we are. I know some of it might be because of other games being postponed and points not being there, but we have um, we've done really well. And I, you know, the 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 two away games. I keep coming back to the the headline um, from Jim on Eastlaw Eastlaw.co.uk, where he said frustration is better than resignation. Uh, when he was talking about some of the, you know, the United game and the Everton game, I think maybe it was just the United game. Because what really makes those results painful is that we knew we should get more from those games and that we're capable of getting more from those games. And then we had to look at how we were going to perform against a team like West Ham and we won. And how are we going to deal with our away day issues? And we went to Leeds and we won. And it's beginning to feel like the positive aspects of what we're doing are outweighing the the negative ones that we fall back on when we hit these bumps in the road, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like yeah, the, I, the balance is slightly, it, so. it's slightly shifting. Um, like I know your glass is always a bit more half full, but it, in general, I'm just saying if you're looking at it from an objective point of view, for Arsenal to be in the top four 
at this point of the season, after the start of the season and all the rest of it, like it's a real credit to the players, to the manager, to his staff, to the resilience, to the attitude, the character, to obviously the, the belief that they have inside this football club that they're doing what should be done. And as we keep saying and have said, results are how you judge things, how you judge the trajectory of a project or whatever it might be or whatever you want to call it. The results are backing up some of the decisions that the manager made, that the the club has made, et cetera, et cetera. You know, when when people talked about that run, you know, the 10-game unbeaten run, and they would do, you know, this good run in inverted commas because some of the teams that we played weren't that great. But you were looking at like, okay, well, we've got to the end of October in good shape. Can we Mm -hmm. produce consistently? Well, we got to the end of November, a little bit of a bump in the road, but we got to the end of December more or less. Uh, I know there's still a couple of games to go, but we look in, in pretty good shape and it looks like we're capable of producing more on a consistent basis than we were in the past. I think so. I, I do think so. And I, and I actually think some people have no time for this, but I think our results since uh, the start of this year, 2021 are, are pretty good. I think um, of the 40, if you of the 40 rounds of Premier League fixtures, that we played since then, we're in the top four. I think we're the fourth best team. I think only Man City have accumulated more points this year. So I do think there is, while there have been significant bumps, and certainly, you know, Villarreal was one, the start of the season was one, going to Everton United and losing those games was one. I do think the general trajectory is positive. Mm. And, you know, something I reflected on after the Leeds game is the fact that after those opening three games, uh, Arteta was very much supported in the transfer market and we added more players and we got players back and it was necessary that we immediately started to pick up results and we did do that and so that was kind of the minimum requirement at that point because things were so dire but I think that it's interesting because the speed with which we were able to integrate those players mm is kind of unprecedented. I don't remember a club, maybe since Abramovich first came into Chelsea, signing six players in a summer and then playing so many minutes in the first half of the season as these guys have done. And the team looking not less coherent as a consequence, but more coherent. And I think that's really encouraging because what we saw against Leeds was relationships beginning to blossom in the attacking part of the pitch. You know, Lacazette dropping deep and Martinelli uh, understanding and seeing that space in behind. Saka and Odegaard, the combination Mm. play between them. And that's something that you would expect to take time. And we're now into December. We're now into the second half of the season. And I think some of those... Some of those relationships, some of those in bits of interplay are just beginning to click now. And we are scoring goals. I mean, we've scored, what is it? Three against Leeds, two against, sorry, four against Leeds, two against West Ham, three against Southampton. Yeah. So nine goals in the past three games. We are creating chances. There were more goals probably for us in some of those fixtures that we didn't take. Um, yeah, it mm. feels a lot better right now. Yeah. And yeah, who, who, who knows where it where it leads? Obviously, there are teams with games in hand, but it's a lovely position to be in. 
at Christmas for sure. It is. And and just to put those signings in context, when you talked about that that Abramovich-Chelsea thing and the players that we yeah. brought in, you know, a player from Brighton, a player from Sheffield United, a player from um, uh, Bologna. Bologna, exactly. Anderlecht. A player from Benfica, a player from Anderlecht and, and uh, Martin Odegaard from, from Real Madrid. In that first... Uh, clutch of arrivals when Abramovich's money came in. It was Hernan Crespo <laughs> from Inter Milan, Damien Duff, uh, who'd done it at, at Premier League level, uh, Veron, Makaleli from Real Madrid, Mutu, <laughs> Scott Parker, uh, Wayne Bridge, boo, Wayne Bridge, uh, Jeremy from Real Madrid, Joe Cole. Um, you know, the, the level of players that they were bringing in, these weren't like, well, who's this guy and where is he coming from? And, you know, he just got relegated three times. You know, it wasn't that. So that's another aspect yeah. to it. And my point is just that when you have that much turnover in a squad, sometimes the expectation is you have to go back to go forward, you know, that there's a difficult bedding in period. But we, with this group, were able, and we, let's be clear, needed to hit the ground running. Um, but but what what I like about that is this idea that well, they could yet get better. You know, normally you're six months into a player's time with the club and you're thinking, okay, they're probably starting to find their feet now. Whereas people like Tommy Asu, uh, White, Ramsdale, you know, Odegaard, they they seem like a big part of things already. So what they could go on to do mm. is promising. And yeah, I, I, if you told anybody after the Manchester City game that we would be fourth at Christmas... Um, I think they would think your glass was more than half full. They would have thought you'd drunk several glasses of something extremely strong. Yeah, your Christmas sherry is, uh, yeah, your bottle is empty. <laughs> and you're yeah. fucking pissed as a fart, mate. Okay, let's leave it there for part one because we do have some questions and we have some other bits and pieces that we want to get into in part two. So we will be right back after this. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. Uh, what is my next line here? Oh, yeah. This is the part. I've, I haven't had the sherry, I promise. I haven't had any Christmas <laughs> drinks yet today. Mm, okay. Mm. 
Yes, I sound... Uh, yeah. It is early. It, it is, is 11.30 in the morning, is. so I, I do believe you. Okay, fair enough. Uh, this is the part of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. So, do you want to go first? My Christmas gift to you is the gift of the first question. How about that? Uh... Yeah, okay. I'm going to ask a question that I don't know the answer to, so oh, <laughs> I hope you do. Okay. Um, this question is from Bald Community Ally. Thanks, man. Uh, and it's on the <laughs> Discord. And uh, <laughs> he, he says, What explains the dramatic change in form from the Man U and Everton losses to three straight wins? It's not just the results. We look better and more in tune. And then they ask us a supplementary question. Was Aubameyang a net negative? Hmm. I think it's reductive to blame or to put the the thing on Aubameyang. Although there was another question on the Discord from J.W. Chamberlain, who said, American podcaster Bill Simmons popularized a general sports theory named after a former basketball player, Patrick Ewing. Ewing theory posits that teams improve sometimes dramatically when certain star players leave a team or are absent. Uh, given uh, Arsenal's performances after Aubameyang's discipline, is he a candidate for Ewing theory? Um, which is quite interesting, but I don't know enough about that to say one way or the other. Yeah. Um, Arsene Wenger seemed to subscribe to that at times, you know, the idea that you could move a big star on and mm. it could cause other personalities to blossom. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do think that's true, but I don't know that Aubameyang's personality, for example, is quite as uh, no. overbearing or or dominant as, as some other players who might be uh, considered in, in the same light. You know what I mean? I, I don't think that the removal of Aubameyang from the team is the reason no. behind these improved results. I, I do think However, maybe there's a... Oh, go on. Well, you can. well, I mean, what I would say is that we talked about Martinelli making runs that maybe Aubameyang wasn't making or Martinelli taking chances perhaps that Aubameyang hasn't been taking of late. So I'm not saying that it's because of Aubameyang leaving or being left out that we're doing this, but but maybe one of the net benefits of it is that this has allowed Martinelli to come through and to take his chance, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's too simple. I mean, what would I say is the... I mean, part of it is that's just kind of football. That's mm. what happens is that you can have games where things don't go your way or you do something stupid or, you know, games where you should have got something and you didn't. And I do think as Arsenal fans, we are carrying around a lot of low-level trauma that is so easily brought to the surface as soon as anything untoward or unexpected or, or something in a game that we don't like happens. So when Leeds scored the penalty the other night, after we'd given it away, when they were just nowhere in the game and it was 3-1 and I'm thinking, yeah, we've, we've got this. I mean, there's no way we're going to throw this away. There's just And then you go like, remember that game when we were 4-0 up at halftime against Newcastle? Remember that 4-4 mm. against Tottenham in the, at the Emirates that time? You know, these things are immediately, they're just there. 
you scratch and then they're brought to the surface again. So I think that's part of what what makes us feel particularly um, nervous in certain moments in games. Like I, I do think, you know, now that there is a bit of distance from the United and Everton games and it's been glossed over, if you want to say that, by by three very impressive results. Do I don't feel as bad about them now as I did, and it's not just because we um, have got those nine points on the board and the table looks better. It's because I can see how very, very easily we could have come away from both those games with something. You know, at the mm. very least, something. And it's not a case that I'm looking at an Arsenal team that's been played off the park, that isn't competitive enough, that isn't capable of doing what I think and you think and we all think we should be doing. So there have been some changes to the team. I think Lacazette has come in and played very well, um, as well as he's played ever for Arsenal in the last couple of games, really, particularly the West Ham game. Um, He's been a positive. Smith Rowe has been uh, effective off the bench. Martinelli has been effective off the bench, uh, as he was against Newcastle, but has come into the team and is scoring. And um, yeah, I mean, I think there are a number of reasons why, but mostly it's just about football and confidence and momentum and and even a bit of determination that after those two results, as we said, you know, the the conversation is too often based around how how can Arsenal respond? How are we going to respond to a setback? But we've shown ourselves capable of responding to setbacks quite often. So maybe that's something that's just coming to the fore a little more often. Uh, yeah, I think your point about us carrying trauma around with us is a really interesting one. I had a a, a YouTube comment actually um, that was good. I thought, wow, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, I know the rarest <laughs> of things. Now, actually, my YouTube comments are, re- are really nice. I've sort of somehow carved out by having exceptionally low production values. I have preserved a very sort of niche, pleasant corner of YouTube. Right. I must keep it that long. Way. May it last. Yeah, but I, I um, did a video after the West Ham game and a guy called Roy Olstad commented one of the first comments on it and I was really struck by it. He said the problem with being in a downward spiral for a decade is that it conditions fans into negativity, impatience, anger, point, finger pointing at the poorest of expectations. And the problem for a new young coach is he has a long uphill battle to last through the difficult years... Mm years it will certainly take to turn around not just the squad but the culture of a damaged club and i was like there's a lot of truth in that you know we have been um living as arsenal fans through a period of decline there is no doubt about that no arguing with it Mm. and so justifiably i think we have there's been a lot of um us not really trusting people at the club, second-guessing, being uncertain. And I do think that slightly conditions our response and our interpretation of events at times. And I think we're almost like a hurt lover, you know? It's like we almost don't really... We're we're looking, I think, anxiously for where it might go wrong. But I do think that 
when you look back at Everton and United, they were a bump in the road. But sometimes as a fan base, we project that it's the end of the road. You know, mm. we, we, we see the worst in it. And I think the, while it was a bump, it didn't have to be, and nor was it seismic. I think the general direction of travel remained good. And even if, even that United game, I mean, we went to Old Trafford and we had eight shots on target, scored twice, probably should have scored more. Yes, we were let down by defensive errors, but I think there were positive signs even in that performance. Everton, I think, was pretty comprehensively bad, but I felt like it was a consequence of the mm. previous game. And... Uh, if if Mikel Arteta's shown anything in his time as Arsenal manager, it seems to be that whenever it gets bad, he he is generally able to retain an, a pretty yeah. unrelenting grip on this group. You know, yeah. um, whenever the response comes, it, it never feels like they quite give up on him. So I think, in short, it was probably never quite as bad as it seemed. Equally, there are football things happening that are helping us. Like I think. I think this attack with Lacazette at its uh, as the central point and people like Martinelli, Saka, Smith Rowe running off him, I think is a better way for Arsenal to go than than what we have been doing. And I, and do I think we can do better than Lacazette? Absolutely. But I think that some of our most coherent performances in the past 12 months have come with this kind of shape to our attack. And I, I think it's helping. I, I, I think so. I think it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit of everything, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the bump in the road, but the wheels didn't come off. We might have dented the undercarriage a bit, but the wheels... Sure. Let, let's get off. as many sort of car road analogies as we can into this, I think. Um <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's not the end of the road. The it's wheels not a didn't come off. off. Yeah. The, exactly, yeah. <laughs> the engine kept running, and that's the key thing. Yeah. Arteta never lost the key we or something like that. I don't know. We haven't run out of gas yet, et cetera, et cetera. I love it. Yeah. I love it. But, um, yeah, it, 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 it is football as well. You're right. And there are high moments mm. and low moments, and we're on a high now. Um, so, and I... This is not analysis, what I'm about to say, but it's so nice that our last league game before Christmas uh, was a resounding win yeah. that kept us in the top four. Oh, That's just a lovely thing for me. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, there's a lot of um, what a lot of vibes to football, isn't there? It's how you feel about things as much as anything. I mean, you can feel one way and stats could tell you something different, but feeling feeling it is is important. And you can definitely feel that there's something there's something happening uh, and for the most part it feels positive. You know, we're 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 going to have a few more bumps in the road, but hopefully we can, you know, continue to steer straight, etc. and all that. Okay. Love it. Love it. Here's a question from Jmart91 who says, "Merry Christmas, gents." Um to touch on the racist fan incident, do you think Rob Holding doing what he did will inspire more players who may be on the pitch or the bench to immediately report any abuse rather than leave this? It was such a great thing he did to do this for the lads on the bench and I feel more players uh, maybe uh, may feel more comfortable uh, to report it straight away rather than just leaving it. Another moment of Rob Holding brilliance after getting new hair. And what new hair, by the way? Inspiring. I mean, it's quite astonishing. I mean, do, do you um, look at it and sort of have some regrets? Yeah, you know, 
the thought does occur to me, but I think he probably played, paid a pretty penny for it. You know, he's got the resources. That's the key thing. Yeah, that's it. Um, what was I going to say about Rob Holding? I mean, yes, credit to Rob Holding. I have to be honest and say, I'd like to think that's what anyone would do. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd like to think that in that situation, we would all mm. stand up for our teammates and make it known to the referee. But I guess it doesn't always happen like that. And it sort of breaks football convention slightly for for that to go on, for a player to say, actually, what I'm hearing on the bench is not acceptable and I'm going to dr- bring it to the official's attention. It's not something you see all the time. Um, so you do have to take your hat off to him and say... Well done. And, and, and Leeds, in fairness to them, appear to have acted quite quickly to assist the police and the police have mm. made an arrest. It's just, it's mad, isn't it? I mean, it's twice this week because there was an incident in the West Ham game. Um, I'm sure you saw on social oh, media. Oh, the video. Yeah, yeah. Really, yeah. really disgraceful. And West Ham have launched an investigation, Arsenal assisting police in their inquiry there. It's so depressing um, that this is going on but I guess the the only way to respond to it is to be a good ally and be a support and do yeah. the right thing and, yeah, yeah. and Rob Holding's done that absolutely and uh, you know zero tolerance um, for any of that kind of behaviour or language um, you know from any football fan yeah, exactly exactly uh, if, and if I and if you heard it in among the Arsenal fans I'd want people to respond to it in the same way you know this stuff needs to be called out and it needs to stop wherever it's happening. Yeah. Um, let's have a question. Well, there's a few variations on this, but there was a kind of leading question into it. So Jan on Twitter, Jan Hoppy said, what positions on the pitch, I, I mean, I almost dread to ask this, do you most fear an injury and he said the Tommy Asu Cedric swap gave me such an intense horror I started wondering how much of our form is dependent on a particular handful of players staying fit for 38 games and there are more questions about Tommy Asu but first and foremost is there a particular area where you would I mean I was I I felt really bad actually when Tommy Asu went off I was surprised by how much it concerned me yeah, I agree. There are loads of questions like this. One from the Discord, Super Callous. Having seen what Cedric is bringing to the pitch following Tommy Asu's substitution, is a right back in the Tavares mould more important and more attainable than a top striker in January? And it reminds me to an extent of the, the Kieran Tierney situation. Um, when, you know, when we talked about Kieran Tierney when he came into the team first, he was so good and so much better than what we had at left back, we immediately feared his absence because there was such a big drop-off in quality between, let's say, Tierney and Kolasinac, right? Um, And I think we're kind of there at the moment with Tommy Asu, who, before we talk about him going off and how terrifying and scary and sad uh, it is, how fucking brilliant he was uh, against Leeds. I thought he was absolutely... Amazing. I think he's, he's, I like all the lads that have come in, but I just really love the sort of understated way with which he does his job defensively, offensively, in the air. There was a moment, was it in the, could have been early in the first half. I can't remember. I think it was the first half or maybe early in the second half. He went up for a header with one of the Leeds guys and just, 
won the header clean as you like, but left the Leeds guy holding his back or holding his arse or whatever it was because he got a knee in the back. And I, I'm not saying he went up to to do him or anything like that. I just think his his physicality is such that he's going to do that to a lot of players. Mm. And when you're in a constant battle with an opponent on the pitch for high balls, et cetera, et cetera, it, it has an impact when the first time or the second time you go up for a header, you get absolutely clattered. You're like, I don't fancy this now. I'm just going to let yeah. this guy win it. And what's what's particularly interesting about Tommy Asu is that he has become like the de facto outball. We we talked on the last one or the one before that about Bakary Sanya and similarities between Tommy Asu and Sanya in, in terms of their reliability, in terms of their solidity, their defensive focus, all of those kind of things. A defender who really, really loves to defend, you know, mm. And we used to have Sanya as our outball on the right-hand side, Chesney booting balls long for Sanya. And it has become a bit of a... Like, have you noticed the new kickoff routine? Oh, no. Tell me. So we... Remember, we used to just um, play it back and it would go to the right-sided center half who would launch it down launch it. to the left-hand yeah. side. And we'd stop doing that. But over the last couple of weeks, I've noticed that we play it back. It comes to Ramsdale who then launches it towards the right-hand side, you know, just over the opposition half towards Tomiyasu to win mm. the first header. So he's become quite important in that aspect of our game as well. And look, the 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 drop-off or the difference in quality between Tomiyasu and Cedric is and was obvious the other night. Mm. Um, well, there's about a foot. Well, yeah, well yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so the, the, you lose the out ball straight away. Exactly. Um, there was a, you know, Chambers and Tommy Asu are probably a little more comparable in terms of their physicality Certainly. and their size and the way that they play. But Chambers seems to be very much on the outs, even though he was on the bench the other night for the first time in a couple of months. Since I think. the Man City game. Yeah. Since you know, the Man City wow, game. Wow. You know, yeah. so that'll tell you how far. In the league. Yeah. So it is one of those where I just wonder if that's the way you want your right back to play, what's the point in playing Cedric when you do have someone like Chambers who can do a job for a couple of games and probably do it in a similar way, whereas if you're bringing in someone like Cedric, it's immediately different, you know, how you play and how you defend and, and you know, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Arteta has his reasons. But, yeah, it's a worry. It's a worry because I think he's just been a, a, a superb addition to this squad. Um, I love the way he plays. I think he has, in some ways, allowed Ben White to settle in a bit. I think he he provides good cover for Ben White, who, as you spoke about earlier, is prone to... <sighs> It's funny to talk about Ben White making mistakes or doing things that young defenders uh, might do when Tommy Asu is actually younger than Ben White and he doesn't do them. Um, but I think he's added a solidity to Ben White, which probably wouldn't be there if there was a different player at right back. They're a good compliment. They really yeah. are. And in the same way that, you know, Martinelli and Lacazette look like a compliment. There are things about each other that offset weaknesses in their game. And, you know, I, I think it was a really 
astute signing. It's worked out fantastically well. Tommy Asu is so strong. He is so strong. His upper body strength is yeah. really impressive. He, there's a great tweet, actually. Arsenal have put out a tweet. Uh, it's captioned Tommy Asu appreciation tweet of that moment in the second half where Leeds got down the right-hand side, played it across the goal. And Tommy Asu just shouldered a guy out of the game. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't even touch the ball, but just eased him out of the way. Then he went down into the touchline, won another one-on-one battle, turned his man, sprinted beyond another. Um, I think it was around then he may have actually picked up a little injury and had to gone off not not long after that but it was just a brilliant display of dogged defending he's so powerful um i i i i think he's a fantastic defender he really is and he would be one of the ones that would worry me just because like you say cedric stylistically is miles away from tommy asu chambers is closer but it's massively out of favor i think any of that defensive unit being absent for any protracted period of time would yeah. be a big concern. I I, um, I would be worried about Gabrielle as well because yeah, I think if you have Ben White missing, like Rob Holding can come in and do a job. Yeah, I think you might lose something in ball progression, but I yeah. think Holding is a decent defender. Um, probably a bit unfortunate to be to have played as few minutes as he had, but that speaks to the consistency we've had uh, yeah. at centre-back. Gabriel, we don't have a like-for-like. Like. You cannot call Pablo Marie, who, get well soon, has got COVID at the present time, mm. um, along with Sammy Laconga. You cannot call him a like-for-like like for Gabriel. No. No, I mean, uh, it, it feels... Look, he's another guy who has barely been in the squad since the Man City game. Um, yeah. And I think if you're looking at him, you know, at this point in his Arsenal career, he may still have a role to play. He may need to play some games this season, but, you know, he's one of those players that if he was, you know, replaced in the transfer market, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't care too much, to be honest. I don't think he has shown enough in his time here to be anything other than emergency kind of backup. And then you've got to think about how you build your squad and is is that the right kind of player to have? You know, so Gabriel would worry me, of course. I mean, I think if you look at the others, holding could fill in for for Ben White. Right back, clearly a problem. Gabriel, a problem. If something happened to Ramsdale, you've got Bernd Leno, who's a German international keeper, very able deputy there. Tierney Tavares, I know, you know, he's had a few issues, but people were excited about his potential. So those two, I think, are the ones that would worry me. Mm. Up front, you know, we do have... We do have a certain amount of depth, even if some of those players aren't really playing. You know, Aubameyang, I don't know what's going to happen, but, but you know, Pepe isn't playing. There are players, there are bodies to fill. Clearly, there would be a gap uh, in quality as well. But I think those two at the back in particular are the ones that would concern me the most. Yeah, and I think if Aubameyang's not available for selection, I think Lacazette is pretty important just because we don't know what we might look like with Martinelli through the middle. We just haven't seen it, for example, with enough regularity. Can I ask you this then? And here is a question from Chris Godfrey, who says, should we use Martinelli up top on Tuesday to see (laughs) if it works? And also on this one, uh, where is it? Mark Davies, who's at Davies number one, says, what is your predicted starting 11 against Sunderland tomorrow? Well, it's going to be interesting because, you know, a couple of those squad players, we mentioned Marie and Lakonga, they probably would have been 
starting this game or you think they have a very good chance um, they're not going to be available for selection the fact that there is some Covid cases in the first team at Arsenal typically they multiply so there may be more so who knows uh, who's going to be available if it's as things stand I think Bern Leno will play yeah um, certainly uh, Rob Holding will play at centre half you would think Cedric and Nuno might play at fullback. Who's your other centre half? Um, I mean, I think it's it's got to be Callum Chambers, doesn't it? I think so. I think so. Um, ahead of that, uh, Mohamed El Nenny and Ainsley Maitland Niles, maybe yeah, in the midfield could do. Um, Pepe. I mean, in answer to the question, I'm not sure Martinelli will play just because of how many minutes he's had recently. I think they'll take the opportunity to rest him. Um, so, I would, so let's figure it out. I Pepe. Would, Pepe on the right. Yeah. Um, you would play Martinelli or you would rest no, him? No, I, I would rest him. Same. I would rest And him. that's a compliment to him. Yeah, know? for sure. Uh, I don't think Aubameyang is going to be reintegrated for this one. Doesn't look like that, does it? Um, no. I mean, you'd think Eddie will play Balagoon? somewhere. I mean, Balagoon has done as much as humanly possible at under-23 level to get a game in a Carabao Cup tie with Sunderland. So Yeah, so so, so would, you could go Pepe on the right. Um, you could go Smith-Rowe as your number 10, potentially. Mm -hmm. And then Eddie and Balagoon, one on the left and one through the middle. Yeah. And that should be enough, I think. There's some good players in that team. And you, you, can, you can have some reserves if you need them. I mean, I, I forgot about this competition, to be honest with you, Andrew. Once we beat Leeds, I was like, that's I was it. A, yeah, I I was, that's exactly. Christmas. I was the same. I was like, oh, Christmas is coming now. And then I was like, oh, fuck. We've got another game yeah. on Tuesday. Um, yeah. So, yeah, look, I think, I think for this one, I mean, I, I winced a little when you said Smith Rowe is your number 10, but I get what you're saying because... Well, yeah, I don't know what else you can do. Well, I yeah, um, me neither, really. I mean, there's nobody really doing it at under twenty three level who could come in and play in that position. So maybe it's a case of Smith Rowe having come back from an injury, a couple of cameos from the bench, give him sixty minutes to get him, you know, properly match fit again. Yeah, uh, not that he doesn't look it or that he's incapable of getting up to the speed of a game or anything like that, but. Um, then you could take him off and see where you are with an hour to go. And maybe you've got a uh, a kid on the bench, some young players on the bench who might get a chance, depending on the scoreline. Um, we have we have played Maitland-Niles in this competition in a more advanced sort of midfield role. You could do that and drop, you know, one of the Shaka or parties in next to El Nenny if you don't want to play Smith Rowe. But I, Smith Rowe would be desperate to play, and I think they, I think they'll give him the game. Yeah, to be honest. But as I was saying, I th the important thing is. Because we've got a game on Sunday, uh, which kicks off at 3 p.m., and then a game on Tuesday, which kicks off at 12.30 p.m., mm. you want to get as much rest into the key players as possible, I think. Yeah. You know? Certainly. Don't take any risks. And, and I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the, the Premier League are meeting today, and that Wolves game is the one that's apparently in yeah. jeopardy in terms of them missing a round of fixtures. Um, I mean, we're in. We've got some good momentum, and it's a home game, and uh, blah blah blah. But given the short turnaround, 
it wouldn't be the worst thing you'd imagine for Arsenal to to not have that game, but we shall see. Yeah, shall I mean see. it's got to be played at some point, but then that that kind of fixture pileup um, will be applicable to everybody, and we probably could do with the rest, especially when you consider that we play on Tuesday, then the next game on New Year's Day is Manchester City. So Yeah, and also I think they're discussing other potential measures at the moment in terms of maybe going to one leg mm. semi-finals for the League Cup. Um, talk of maybe abolishing third round replays. Everything's in play at the present time. And also we're talking about a fixture list where we assume the Norwich game happens, but I don't think we can take that for granted. Yeah. On the Discord, Oivind uh, Hodnukvan. I probably pronounced that completely wrong, but I apologize. He says, um, I've seen many people complain that other teams have had their matches postponed due to COVID. Shouldn't we be happy that we have had all, all our matches played? Spurs and Man United have to fit in even more matches into an already cramped schedule. Hopefully this can be an advantage to us, given that we'll have more time to prepare and rest for our remaining games. I have to say I'm disappointed that Spurs' schedule is due to be lightened by their... Um removal from the conference league weren't they this weren't the they going time? out anyway well they had a game that they had to not play and they've not been able to reorganize it yeah. i believe um i think there was a possible result that meant they could have stayed in but anyway they are out so that will lighten their load slightly it is fascinating this whole subject you know leeds found themselves in a position where they were playing a game with a lot of injured players. But there's a slight sort of paradox of they're a highly vaccinated squad. I think they're at something like 90% vaccination and they didn't really have COVID cases. Um, and in some ways, they were probably cursing their luck because if they'd had, had a few COVID cases, they probably could have had the game called off. Meanwhile, you've maybe. got other squads in the... Well, yeah, maybe. And meanwhile, you've got other squads in the Premier League where vaccination rate is much lower. I mean... Um, I think Manchester United are one such example, and you know, the, and they are having their games pulled. It's a really odd time, and then you've got situations like Chelsea, where Thomas Tuchel spoke about the COVID cases they're suffering, and yet they had to play. I don't understand the criteria. I don't think anybody really understands the criteria. Um, hmm. But uh, but I I am um, grateful that we. I mean, credit, first of all, to the club who North London and the surrounding areas are a hotbed for the new Omicron uh, variant. And the fact that Arsenal are managing to keep games going is a credit to the work that they have done, both in terms of the vaccination programme, but also the measures that are put in place yeah. uh, at the training ground. It just does feel like a bit of a matter of time, though, until it catches up with us, like it's caught up with other teams. Um, mm, I mean, there's no what was there's, there's no bubble now. Well, I mean, the, the question was about shouldn't we be grateful that we've had our games and we've actually got points on the board, which I think is, I think is good. To be honest, I'd rather have the points on the board than games definitely. in hand for sure. And also, you know, we don't have European football in the second half of the season, and that surely is going to play into our hands when these games are eventually rescheduled. Um, interesting thing, by the way, that I've been thinking about that there wasn't a, a question about, but I just wanted to touch on. Alison Rudd wrote a good piece in the, I think it was in the Times, about 
the changing nature of captaincy in the Premier League. Basically, the Premier League captains are due to convene either today or tomorrow to discuss, um, you know, the issues with the games and right. and following the protocols. Have and they it, have they told Hector? <laughs> well. <laughs> it made me think about the fact that we have recently changed our captain. And she, her point was basically about, although we say captaincy doesn't really matter on the pitch anymore, in the last 12 to 18 months, if you think about captain's meetings that have taken place around um, Black Lives Matter and taking the knee, captain's meetings that have taken place around Project Restart and COVID, you know, these have been quite significant um summits essentially and and as you point out the player representing arsenal in on most of these engagements was hector bellerin mm. and um it's just a sort of interesting take on i guess the issue of captaincy that we we hadn't necessarily talked about the fact that the guy who was the captain wasn't the guy representing arsenal at these events and in these meetings. Um, so maybe the change in the captaincy, it, it shouldn't catch us quite as off, as off guard as it did. And, yeah. and the role of the captain, I think, is becoming as much about these off-field issues as anything to do with what happens on the pitch. Yeah, I'd be very curious to see who is uh, representing Arsenal at these meetings. Because like you say, they were not trivial matters. I mean, there was the fundraising yeah. for the NHS and all of those kind of things that the captains got yeah. together and, and did a lot of good work when there was a lot of focus on football and footballers as, you know, people who should be setting an example. You know, footballers earn a lot of money, therefore they should contribute their fair share, um, which when you think about what's come to light of late and, um, you know, governments sitting having garden parties when um, people couldn't even be with, with each other at funerals, uh, you know, that, that kind of um, focus on them was absolutely unfair and absolutely and, uh, ludicrous. And and similarly, when Arsenal had the issues with the redundancies uh, and the players were extremely unhappy about that, mm. uh, I think Hector and I think, I, I think in fairness, I think Granit Xhaka as well were the guys who were most vocally uh, opposed to that. So it, it's just interesting, you know, we think about captaincy a lot in terms of, you know, we've talked about important to set an example, important to uh, not be late, to, you know, be a leader on the pitch. But there is this kind of off-field leadership, you know, exemplified, I guess, by like Jordan Henderson, who receives a lot of credit in his role as, as the Liverpool captain and I think chairs a lot of these meetings. Um, Absolute union shop steward he is. If he wasn't a footballer, he would, he would be that one. A hundred percent. But I do think that that's an interesting kind of aspect of captaincy. Mm that we haven't really thought about as much in the recent debate. Um, and it will be interesting to see, because obviously Hector's not around anymore, uh, who represents Arsenal on these occasions and in these instances and how that factors into Mikel Arteta's long-term mm. thinking on the position. I represent like this my whole life. Um, <laughs> all right, here's a couple of quick ones to finish off. Go on. First one it comes from Fengal on the Discord, who says, do you think... Harry Kane can get away with murder. Well, listen, if that had been Granite Shaka, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. 
I know. It is yeah. It is crazy, isn't it? Because like, that was a red card, and Robertson was also a red card. But it's impossible not to get frustrated when uh, incidents like that happen. I mean, Kane's one on Robertson yesterday was worse than Shaka's challenge in the Man City game. That was insane. Game. I mean, genuinely. Oh. I know it's the England captain Quite thing, a lot the golden worse, boy. Yeah, yeah. A lot, lot worse. So I would say, yes, Harry Kane could get away with murder, but he would have to do it on a football pitch. Yeah, we need to get the England captain's armband for one of these young boys in our squad. That needs to be our focus now. If we can just get, you know, England if we captain. can make Bukayo Saka England captain, then he'll be allowed to take an axe onto the pitch and just, you know, wield it. I mean, he seems very nice for him to be doing that. But yeah. if someone could be encouraged... Um, to do that that'd be great it does provide a, a worrying degree of immunity that was an insane game by the way i don't know if you saw it liverpool Spurs, i did i was watching it, was it. yeah yeah helter skelter stuff and the officiating was very odd i there is something i i feel like jermaine genus made a good point no actually. he didn't no he didn't i i honestly no. andrew no, i james, swear to you james don't lie don't lie i was don't... sober i swear no I, I, listen <laughs> okay an unnamed bbc pundit made a good point about how var is designed to be an objective measure yeah yet it seems to week by week respond to discourse and sort of sway about in terms of where and when mm. it will or won't intervene. And I, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, Whoever said it. Unfortunately, it, it was yeah. Jermaine Genus, so I had no, to disagree with it. No, but no. yeah, it was a decent point. All right. Final one. How Go much on. did you enjoy watching Aaron Ramsdale boiling all that Leeds piss last night? I uh, was talking about was, Saturday. It was sensational. It was hilarious. If you haven't seen it. There's Ian Wright tweeted yeah. it, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Um, I think it comes from like a Leeds fan, fan TV, yeah. TV vlog thing. Do you know what? After the game, Aaron Ramsdale um, took to Instagram and took posted to, to his took like, to. You take to social take media. To I don't know if you know that. Yeah. Um, and he posted to his story a picture of him and he said like loads of mates behind the goals tonight or something like that and I was like what's he talking about I was like did he have some sort of local and then you see this video back and you're like oh of course well it was very 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 funny there's no? a little bit of audio here which I'm going to play um, and this is from that video and while this audio is playing you'll be able to make out what these guys are saying um, while the audio is playing just imagine Aaron Ramsdale grinning right in front of them, running around his penalty box and laughing his head off while they do all this. So here's the audio. Come and celebrate in here, you bastard! You fucking bastard, Ramsdale! I love it. <laughs> it, it, it was... Uh... Highly entertaining. Um, it was. And yeah. Can I make it more entertaining? Please. Because um, we had a, a request on Twitter from Elliot Ross, who when he saw that video and heard some of the, um, the language coming out, asked if we wouldn't mind just doing a little bit of a jingle slash remix of that. So, I mean, who am I to say no to a man? 
at Christmas time. So, of course, it's let's, Christmas. Let's do this. <laughs> that is great. Ringtones over the world will be instantly changed sure. for that. Uh, that I mean, Christmas number one material up there with "It's a Great Day." No, it was it was it was so funny, so funny. I love all that stuff. To be honest with you, yeah. I mean, wow. football over the years has become. I don't know. I mean, players are so media savvy these days they get all their training you know what you're going to get in a post-match interview most of the time and you know the way that most of these players are going to behave what they're going to say how they're going to say it so to have somebody with that kind of personality uh you know there was i'm sure we've talked about it before there was a, a video of ramsdale when he was he was doing like a a day of golf with the guy from from soccer am and he was talking about all that kind of stuff and how he joins in. And when he was doing it in League One, he'd be doing it, he'd be clapping the fans behind his back. But of course, when he's coming out of a stadium in League One, there's, you know, there isn't the same protection and security that there might be at Premier League level. So he's having to like leg it onto the bus to ensure that he doesn't get, you know, <laughs> uh, clattered by the opposition fans. But it's great. It's just, it brings another level to, uh, to nights like, uh, you know, Saturday when we beat Leeds and we play well and we've a lot to enjoy and then there's other stuff that comes afterwards which just adds to the enjoyment and uh, he's done that more than once this season for sure yeah I think you're right those those loan spells at Chesterfield and Wimbledon you know in those situations you can kind of hear individually what every fan is saying and that, that must be quite a testing environment for any goalkeeper but you come through that and uh, yeah he, at the moment he's handling it brilliantly and I think when you're playing well and when you're winning games yeah uh it's easy to do but great fun I I mean to hear the the anger it's like the angriest man on Twitter you bastard taken to YouTube. you fu- yeah. fucking <laughs> Ramsdale you, Via Yorkshire. you bastard you big <laughs> bastard and bastard I can't fucking get you you fucking Christmas bastard Ah, honestly, ho, ho, it, ho. Warms, <laughs> it warms your heart. It warms your heart. It really does. It really does. Okay, well, look, we're going to leave it there for today. Um, I suppose we should just take a moment because this is the last Arsecast Extra before Christmas. So if you're celebrating, please have a, a, a happy, peaceful, a healthy time this Christmas. And thank you uh, for being here as always. I uh, hope you get to enjoy it with uh, friends and family as, as much as possible this year, even though it's still a little bit crazy so um yeah happy christmas uh, and all the rest yeah stay safe guys and have a good christmas all right we will have hopefully um another podcast for you this week and then there is a a christmas schedule of course we are going to do the next arsecast extra after the wolves game which is um that'll be next Wednesday, Wednesday. but we Mm. will have a Patreon podcast in between that as well. So between Norwich and Wolves, we'll have a Patreon podcast. Uh, If you want to sign up, you can. Patreon.com forward slash arseblog. For now, though, as ever, thank you very much indeed. Um, 
have a great one and we will uh, we'll talk to you soon go and fucking celebrate all the fucking birthday fucking Christmas on your own you fucking bastard Ramsdale bye bye Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.